is the Story Mobile Podcast. We are a solar-powered moving art space that travels to events and through neighborhoods to collect your stories. The St. Paul Almanac book was created in 2005 and has since been released annually. The goal is to bring together the diverse community of St. Paul through literary arts. The Almanac is a meeting place for sharing stories and artwork of our community. This year, the St. Paul Almanac released their 11th volume, On a Collected Path. As part of a reading festival, authors have gathered at various venues throughout St. Paul to read their fabulous work. On Friday, May 12th, readers gathered at Cahoots Coffee Shop in St. Paul to read their pieces from St. Paul Almanac's Volume 11, On a Collected Path. Our next reader is Abe Levine. Is Abe here? Hey, you're Abe. Great. Wonderful. So here's what I know about Abe. Abe is a community-based chef and gardener who he says is both strange and full of flavor, like an eggplant. His kitchen is his dojo, and you're invited to judo chop. Please welcome Abe. <laughs> and my name is pronounced Abby, but it's spelled Abe. Um, so this piece is called Minnesota Medicine. I came to Minnesota in 2007, um, ended up staying with the host family uh, in 2009 or 10, and so wanted to write about that experience. Oh, and ha have you guys heard of the word hapa or hapa? Yes. Someone who's half Asian and something else. It was really common in Hawaii, uh, and, and now it's kind of been adopted by the rest of the continental U.S., so. Um, could a hapa kid who grew up staining dim sum tablecloths with soy sauce get used to the land of lafsa and hot dish? Could I make the switch from bok choy and gai lan to kale? You could say that the seven-layer bar is a transition and that my story of getting rooted here is a testament to the place of food, family, and gratitude. I grew up in Popo's home. My grandmother had emigrated from southern China to marry my gonggong. She ran a one-room laundromat where she also raised four children, my mom, her sister, whom we lost, and two brothers. She later convinced Gunggung that they needed to open a restaurant in order to save money and buy a house. And in that home, several relatives would arrive and stay in the tight space that would become our pantry. My earliest memories of Papua's home include turning over bricks in the backyard in search of the creepy crawlies and slimy slitherers and being with family on Sunday nights. Every Sunday, Popo would cook a big feast and invite over my mom's brother, Billy, his wife, Susan, and their three daughters, Jenny, Christina, and Tanya. She would start in the afternoon, the kitchen filling with the scents of salty steam, dried shrimp, and fried fish that rose like incantations drifting from her walk. The rhythm of a cleaver hitting wood, pea pod ends being flipped into a plastic shopping bag, and the scraping of spatula lifting and tossing veggies has become my forever background music when cooking. This was one time during the week when I could open up and soak it all in, the flavors, the family, and our madness. Susan would yell at Billy, everybody would talk about my dad, and Susan would roll her eyes, and we'd eat Papua's food. On Thanksgiving, there would be a glazed ham and Pillsbury Crescent rolls, and on other fine days, there'd be rice porridge called juk, flavored with ham bones and a side of fried chicken. I had it good. Maybe I didn't know it, but my stomach smiled. With friends, I joked about my uncle's family being Chinese rednecks, and maybe by way of those stories alluded to my own working class background. My uncle didn't pick up the roadkill like the Beverly Hillberry, Hillberries, the Beverly Hillbillies, but he would nab 
just about everything else, especially free books. Picking up cans was supplemental income, and he did bring home nice furniture. Billy was always hunting for a bargain, even if it meant driving 10 miles to get a $5 gas certificate. Can't beat that, he'd say with a Boston accent. He, like my mom, always found ways to provide. I went to school in a different town than the one I lived in, and the kids there generally came from wealthier families. Though Sundays were my Sabbath, home cooking, school lunch was my everyday break, and moreover, it was free for me. The lunch ladies were my tias, and at the checkout register sat Maureen, a single mom, tiny like mine, but with light freckles and curly red hair. She always looked out for me, and at the end of the year, gave me a free ice cream. I never quite knew how to identify myself. Even from now to my own name got to be a challenge. And when I told folks I was a Chinese Jew, I either got doubtful responses or awe. Really? What great genes! Beyond my ethnicity, I was the artfully quirky offspring of my iconoclastic dad and my mother, whose every muscle, impulse, and fiber of her five-foot-one-inch frame was directed into supporting me. I was my own mix of a self-conscious classroom entertainer striving to be somebody. When I got to McAllister College, I began to pick up identity labels, Buddhist, vegetarian, environmentalist, but I still hadn't found me, didn't feel I had my place among the inspirational change makers at my elite liberal arts university. In my sophomore year, I had the opportunity to live with a family in St. Paul. To tell the truth, I was nervous about getting off campus and being in a neighborhood I didn't know. But when Nadia, the mother of the family I lived with, asked me to explain meditation to her five-year-old daughter, Anissa, I knew it was the place for me. Nadia and Anissa quickly grew on me, and so did Roscoe the dog, my walking buddy. I became the compassionate and grounded brother who was conscious about food. Even though Anissa didn't believe in the word, she got a kick out of chanting, vegetables, vegetables, yay, 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 candy, candy, go away. <laughs> I love being by her side, taking her to the park to do flips on the monkey bars, helping her get ready for school, and getting through the difficult times of, nobody likes me. When Nadia would chide Anissa in Arabic, pitties, yalla, I was taken back to the days when Papua would scold me, toe, toe, bet, bad boy, no set soy in the house. And when Anissa would offer me her own version of a prayer before meals, thanking her mom for dinner, I saw the circle of life coming into completion. After college, I decided to work with kids. I taught in the areas of art, spirituality, environment, and language arts in St. Paul and Minneapolis. As I orchestrated fashionable food parties after school, making items such as fried chicken, mango salsa, and garden salads, I realized that cooking and eating robustly were infused into my genes and taste buds, and that the work of kissing the earth and sharing her fruits brought me to create an embodied tapestry with youth. The Twin Cities have given me love, food, and culture through relationships that are steadily filling out the shades and contours of my silhouette, in addition to filling my belly. And what more can a city do for you than reveal your innermost growing edges as you seek home? These are the people and memories that guide me as I rock the walk to create a savory medley of words, foods, and family in Minnesota. To hear more stories, learn more about Storymobile, and to find out where we'll be pedaling off to next, visit storymobile.org.